Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, post-match, the first time ever on Monday Match Analysis on this YouTube channel that I am doing this live. And I'm a bit out of breath because I just ran here from where I watched the match. Um, folks, I'm going to start this off like I always do. If you're not here for spoilers, they're coming momentarily. Here's how this is going to work. Again, if you're not here for spoilers, click off the video. I'm going to go over both semifinals, everyone, and then I will take your comments. Again, this is the first time I'm, uh, I'm doing this, but I think everything's working out so well um, technically. All right, here we go. Um, here it comes. Rafael Nadal has lost to Novak Djokovic in four sets in the 2021 Roland Garros semifinals. 3-6-6-3-7-6-6-2. Uh, probably the best performance that anyone has ever put together against Rafa Nadal on this court, on this momentous occasion, uh, because that was a better version of Rafa Nadal than the one that Robin Soderling beat, if I may. And that was a better version of Rafa Nadal than the one that Novak Djokovic beat in 2016. That was a really incredible match. The third set, as good as it gets. I will not forget that third set anytime soon. It was all-time stuff. It's probably one of the best sets I've ever seen. All of this to say, the level was outstanding. Nadal did not no-show, but Novak figured a lot of things out and did things that nobody has ever been able to execute. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of those things were, were very well known as, you know, possibilities that, that people have always attempted to do. It's just a matter of doing it. So... Um, I guess I'll, I'll attempt to go through this match chronologically, obviously going live right after I have less time to gather my thoughts, but it was a, a blazing start by, um, blazing start by Rafa Nadal and the first serve and the forehand, uh, was firing like crazy and Djokovic had some chances early on, a couple of overheads, a couple of drop shots that didn't go his way, overheads he didn't finish, and suddenly, despite a really high level and a lot of great points, Nadal starts this match ahead, and I I believe he, he gets out to a five-love lead. Now, Novak Djokovic gets a break back, and it ends up being a 6-3 a set that feels really tight and, and takes nearly an hour. Uh, the second set is where things begin to change even more. And the short point dominance that we have talked so often about that Rafa Nadal has always been able to obtain when facing Novak Djokovic in this matchup, uh, it ceased to exist from the first set on. So in the first set, zero through four shots was 20 to 12 Nadal. And from there, it dissipated. Second set, 11 to 10, set number three, 20 to 22 in favor of Novak, and in set number four, 16 to six in favor of Novak Djokovic. A lot of that had to do with uh, the way 
the way, first of all, Novak was staying on top of baseline rallies. The baseline patterns were really working for him. But the revelation in this match to me was the short angle cross-court forehand by Novak Djokovic, which broke the sideline so routinely and not only made Nadal hit backhands, because making Nadal hit backhands, that's one thing. That's all fine and well. That's great. But how about open stance backhands from outside the doubles alley? How about backhands that have so much topspin and so much kick off the court that Rafa Nadal is hitting backhands from above his shoulders outside the doubles alley? And just pounding away at that corner over and over again, I think really getting to Nadal's legs in the match and finding that Nadal to get out of that pattern because he desperately does not want to be hitting open stance backhands from outside the the sideline. Uh, he would go down the line with his backhand. And I said before the match, Novak needs a plan for that pattern, for that tactic. He needs to figure out exactly what he's going to do uh, when Nadal tries to get out of jail with his down-the-line backhand, his loopy one, just the pattern-changing one, not the attack. And Novak stepped in and clocked cross-court backhands um, and was very, very decisive in doing that. And it, it was a, a huge pattern for him that put him ahead in the second set and for much of the third set. And I, I really think that that baseline pattern, the fact that Djokovic's forehand was so good and a lot spinnier than he was hitting it last year when he lost badly against Nadal in Paris. A lot spinnier, a lot heavier, so it was safer. He missed less. But the key was that he broke the sideline, was that he dragged Rafa Nadal off the court, something that maybe a younger version of Nadal wouldn't have minded as much. But in this match, it just felt like it was breaking him. Uh, it's such a difficult forehand to hit, though. And I just can't stress enough that it is in the execution more than anything else. So that's the first thing. Cross-court forehands over and over and over again. Putting Nadal in that backhand jail was so, so key. So let me take a look at, a, at some stats just to try to confirm this. And we're going to go to stroke summary here on Infoseas. And let's take a look at for the match, Nadal hit 232 backhands and 236 forehands. Nadal wants it to be not even close. He wants to hit way more forehands and way less backhands. In the second set, when Djokovic really swung it, Nadal hit 67 backhands, 49 forehands. So we go into the match and we talk about the Nadal forehand, how it is so such an overwhelming weapon on clay. Um and how it's the difference maker for Rafa Nadal, whether he's 18 years old uh, or however old he was when he won the tournament in 2005, or whether he's 34 years old winning the tournament in 2020. He's always had the forehand, and it's always been such a goddamn difficult shot to deal with on a clay court. And what Nadal, ma what Djokovic managed to do was get away from it, and no one has ever done it as well in a match on in a big match on Chatrier. No one has ever done it as well as I just saw Djokovic do. And it starts with how good that cross-court backhand was. But that's not all. That's not all. Um, 
second serve returning and first serve returning, but I think the second serve returning was a big deal. And Nadal has had second serve troubles. He had them coming in and they persisted a little bit, but it was Novak putting an immense amount of pressure on the Nadal second serve because Rafa was having to start the points with backhands. And even on the ad side, where I think I would critique Nadal and say he needed to mix up his spots better. But on the ad side, where he would uh, hit the serve to the Djokovic backhand, Novak would go down the line. And there's a sliver of space that you can hit into that can make Nadal hit a backhand. And it's got to be pretty heavy because you're leaving the cross court open. So you got to hit it well. And it seemed like Novak hit it every single time. I will highlight a specific point, and I believe this was actually off of first serve, but if you go to um, the fourth set, and this is really the the straw that broke the camel's back, 2-3, the break that did it for Novak, 30-40, that very same play on 30-40, the match still in the balance, and Novak hits a first serve return right on the baseline to Nadal's backhand, Rafa, I don't think he's ever had to start so many points on his backhand. And that is the precision and the dominance of Novak Djokovic's serve in this match. All right. Um, Those are the main points that I I wanted to hammer home. I'm just going to take a second to tweet out the link of this live stream, so bear with me. Um, And then I will get to the other semifinal real quick. And then um, we will get to the chat, and I'm going to try to answer some questions. Let's see. How do I try to share this stream? As good as it gets, folks, that one. As good as it gets when it comes to a tennis match. My goodness. I'm having a lot of trouble finding the link to this. Here we go. All right, let's get to the second semifinal. Waiting um, for Novak Djokovic in the 2021 Roland Garros final will be Stefano Tsitsipas, who scored a five-set victory over Alexander Zverev in the first final of the day. As I tweet this out, you can follow me on Twitter at Gil underscore gross. Let's get into this one a little bit. Um, A big one for both as Alexander Zverev looking for for his biggest win in a major, I think. I mean, when he made the U.S. Open final, he had to beat Pablo Carina Busta. Obviously, it was the same stage, but Tsitsipas is a much better opponent. So this was a big deal for Zverev. And and then Tsitsipas was trying to equal what his main same-generation rivals have done. Daniil Medvedev has been in two major finals. Alexander Zverev has been in a major final. Tsitsipas was the man who was left out of the equation. This was major for him, and he comes through. Really happy for Tsitsipas, who belongs in the Roland Garros final. And when I say he belongs, I'm just talking about the level that he has been bringing to clay court tennis um, for this entire season. It's been an extremely high level. It has been only matched by your Djokovic's and your Nadal's of the world. Do not get that twisted. He has gotten better and better every single year. He wants it so bad. He's grown a ton. And he was always going to end up in this spot at some point. It was just a matter of when. And 2021 seems like the right time for it to happen. And Tsitsipas is in the final. This is another match that felt very, very human between these guys. 
uh, because it was a nervous start for Alexander Zverev, which has been a big problem for him recently. Um, you know, he he double faulted twice in his opening service game. That was the break for Tsitsipas. And it carried him for the rest of the first set. And then in the second set, I thought, again, it was it was not a great level from Alexander Zverev. He was still fighting himself and his own confidence when Tsitsipas was a little bit more opportune and uh, cleaner in that second set than Zverev. Zverev has to be the one who's cleaner in order to uh, have a chance. Uh, but then when Zverev had his back against the wall and started playing looser, uh, he started getting a lot of free points on his serve. The Stefano Tsitsipas return was pretty much the thing that was oscillating with his success and the outcomes of these matches. And it went way, way down in the fourth and or the third and the fourth sets. And he just wasn't making returns. Hot conditions. Zverev's got a big serve. And Tsitsipas wasn't blocking it back. He just wasn't. It's uh, it's something he did against John Isner. But in general, he's very, very stubborn. He doesn't want to do it. He wasn't doing it. And in the fourth set, it was especially brutal. Uh, he made like 50% of first serves back into play. You're making it way easy, to, to, way too easy on Alexander Zverev. Meanwhile, Zverev was making about 90%. So think about how much pressure, how much more pressure is on Zverev. That being said, you know, it, it, it continued to be scratchy. And if you look at the breaks of serve in this match, many of them were gifted. Many of them were gifted. A lot of important errors. Zverev's formula to victory when he was having success was get more returns into play, execute superior patience, rally tolerance, target Stefano Tsitsipas's backhand. And I think the key was the way Tsitsipas handled balls directed at his backhand. And the way he handled that changed very dramatically in the fifth set. Instead of accepting the backhands and getting impatient and trying to do damage with the backhand and going for the down the line and and oftentimes missing that shot, uh, he decided, I'm going to spend the extra energy, make the extra effort to rally cross court, stay patient, and wait for my chance to run around and hit big forehands. The acceleration on Tsitsipas's forehand, the movement, the focus on, on return of serve, they all elevated in that fifth set. The entire game elevated after he saved a love 40 game in the opening game of the fifth set. That was the key. It changed the match. From that point on, it was a different version of Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, Zverev's weaknesses, his running forehand, double faults, um, they were important. The number of double faults might not jump out at you, but when he double faulted, it tended to be very, very important. And in most of the games Tsitsipas broke, I believe all but one, Zverev had a double fault in that game. So it's more than one point. It's an emotional thing for both Zverev and Tsitsipas, a lift for the Greek, a downer for the German, and it actually affects play a lot. Um, and also, I think Tsitsipas did a good job targeting Zverev and uh, on both the serve going out wide to the forehand and staying away from the backhand in the big moments and also using that angled forehand to stretch Zverev out on the on the forehand, make him defend that side. And that's where he can uh, where you can force errors, which I think Tsitsipas did a lot. His winner count is was pretty low for the entire match, but I thought that was pretty deceiving. I think he was forcing a lot of errors with Zverev maybe very deep in the court in very compromised positions and missing the court, and it's not a winner, but it kind of is. So 
Uh, I thought it was a, a decent performance by Tsitsipas with expected bumps in the road, trying to close out in a position that you've never been in, two sets to love, trying to make your first major final um, in the fifth set, clutch play. Let me highlight the, uh, the, the game in the fifth set where he came back real quick. It was it was Love Forty, and then um, he hits a service winner at Love Forty, a serve plus a backhand cross court. Zverev nets an open stance backhand, um, another service winner at thirty forty. At Deuce, an incredible point where Tsitsipas dips the pass low, gets up all the way up to the half volley, and hits a forehand winner um, after getting to the ball cross court, and a Stefano Tsitsipas service winner um, on game point. So the the serve comes up big in that game, and again from there, um, it really uh, may, had a big effect. All right, let me go to the chat now. Um, let's see how we can uh, how we can do this. So I will be. Uh, you can at, also tweet me at Gil underscore Gross, and right now I'm gonna check my mentions a little bit to see if I if anything is going there. Okay, the question is, this one's from Lucas, uh, where, oh, were these due to physical fatigue? It doesn't seem reasonable to me. Today I felt Nadal simply um, didn't have the physical conditioning unlike Nole. All right, let's talk about that. Did Nadal get tired? Was he tired? Was that a factor? What I would say to this, I'm, I'm very kind of, I would be pretty adamant in saying the way Nadal was pushed into the corners repeatedly. I would never expect a 35-year-old or just let's just keep this to Nadal. Forget his age. The current version of Nadal. I would never expect him not to get tired with how much running Novak made him do. It comes down to that repeated punishing, punishment of his backhand corner. Uh, with Djokovic's forehand, which he hit with better racket speed, better RPM, uh, better location, short angle, shorten the court, sideline breaking forehands. The best I've ever seen him execute that. And you better believe that when Nadal is not dictating the points and he's doing the running instead, well, he's gonna he's gonna lose some freshness. I don't know that. He was completely spent there in the fourth set, but I felt like the winner of the third set was going to win the match. I, I don't know that Novak would have had enough to reach the finish line had he have lost that third set. I definitely don't know that. So I feel like the third set was was very, very much the key. Uh, that tie break and the entire set was stunning. Um, adjustments both ways that that were really excellent from both, um, but but that ultimately was probably going to be the turning point given how physical the opening three sets were. These guys are not likely to play Australian Open 2012 ever again. That that is likely behind them. We probably won't see that again. So then the third set, you know, with that in mind, the third set becomes very very important. So let's go over that a little bit more. I don't know if I glossed over that at all. Um, I mean, you have the key miss here. And obviously, a lot of matches are going to have this moment. 
but the mini break came at 3-4 when Nadal missed a forehand volley that he should not have missed. Uh, Djokovic did excellent with an ace at 5-4 and then closing out set point um, without... In, in a very return-dominated set, a mini-break wasn't didn't feel like the end of the world, but Djokovic closed it out beautifully. Um, so that was the, the, the difference when it comes to a mini-break. And then uh, Nadal had a set point at 5-6, and what did Novak do? He saved it with the backhand drop shot winner down the line with just ice in his veins. Um, it was... Uh, it was an incredible execution on a drop shot in that moment. And then what does he do at Deuce? Well, another forehand cross court. It breaks the sideline. Nadal is off the court, and he pulls the trigger down the line, backhand into the middle of the net. Do you realize the difficult position, not only for fatigue, but the difficult position that that puts Nadal in? When he is outside, I call it the doubles alley. Some of you in other countries might call it the tram lines. When he is in that position, it takes so much effort. He has a decision there. Nadal does. He either needs to go hard down the line or flat angle hard cross court in a way that's going to be so damaging that he's actually trying to turn defense into offense. And mind you, if it's not damaging, Djokovic has the whole court to hit into and Nadal's going to lose the point. That's one option. The other option is that he puts enough air under it that he has time to try to recover to the middle of the court from a position way outside the court. And that's a lot of effort. And he's not hitting a heavy ball in that case. So he's defending, he's staying in it, but he's not turning the tides of the rally. It puts him in such a difficult spot. Um, Add in, Djokovic was not passive. He takes control of the point. Uh, He hits a swing volley. That's a little bit central, but Nadal misses the counter forehand, understandably. And uh, that's how Djokovic forced the uh, forced the tiebreak. Um, Nadal was heroic at 5-4. Djokovic served for the third set. And Nadal with his down-the-line forehand, which throws a wrench in everything. Whenever Nadal hits that early down-the-line aggressive forehand, he probably didn't hit it enough in this match. That is going to disrupt everything that's happening on the court because that's the nuclear bomb. Of all the weapons that both of these uh, these players have, these great champions, the Nadal forehand down the line, that's the nuclear bomb to end all nuclear bombs. And when he goes after that shot and makes it consistently, it, it's it's very difficult for Djokovic to, uh, to, to do a lot with. But it's also, you know, you're going to get some errors and it's hard for Nadal to muster up the, he needs to set that up. And again, if the ball's on his backhand, what are you avoiding? You're giving Nadal less chances to go for that. What Djokovic did so well in this match was keep it on Nadal's backhand. Better than, I I will just reiterate this, better than I have ever, ever seen. All right, I'm staying on Twitter here, checking my mentions. Never mind, let me go to YouTube. I wish that some comments stayed um, at the top. Do I have do I have super chat on? I'm not sure because those should go to the top. Um, again, looking for questions. What happened to Nadal's serve? He was around 50 percent and couldn't hold to save his life. That one is from Jack. So I'm trying to think here. I'm not surprised 
that both of these players neutralized each other's serves at a very high rate. I think this is what you're going to get on Chatrier. Um, this is this is a match that became um, a nighttime match on you know on a clay court that's very large. So Nadal, I think Nadal did the same thing, and I'll I'll pull up the stats here. But uh, was was Nadal's first serve neutralized a little bit? Um, you know, he won 59% of points on his first serve. What was Djokovic's strategy largely? I think for the most part, besides trying to get it to, to Nadal's backhand, I also thought he returned from pretty deep in the court, put a lot of air under it, and just tried to put enough pressure on Nadal and tried to dig out defensively to get back into points. Uh, he didn't try to, you know, cut off the first serve return early. But it was more the second serve that was the problem. For Nadal, the second serve, he didn't mix up the spots well enough. So Djokovic was very comfortable sitting on backhand returns, lining them up, getting a great rhythm on that backhand return, and doing tons and tons of damage. So Nadal only protected his second serve at a 40% clip. Now, that's a big problem. Uh, Djokovic protected his second serve at a clip that I think is normal, which is 50%. I think that's how it should be. If you're... If you're doing a good job on your second serve, and it's not that means it's not getting attacked, you're playing neutral rallies off of it. Um, I also think that Nadal probably could have done more on the second serve return. I think he could have moved up his court position and been a little bit more aggressive. There were a couple times where he did try to get aggressive, but I felt he went almost he was almost at 70% or 60% or 110%. There were two times he hit he missed forehand second serve returns inside out, basically going for the line, and he missed wide. And I just felt like he didn't get that balance between aggression and, you know, making the ball, not going for broke on the second serve return. I felt that it was very zero or 100 for Nadal on that. While Djokovic was attacking that second serve return, I, Nadal was just starting the point. He was. And that's why you see it was 50%. Because it was just starting the point. He was hitting heavy forehands, pretty central, and Novak had no problems really just um, you know, playing off of Nadal's second serve returns. There was even some plus one play that Novak was able to get. And I think in the past in this matchup, I think Nadal has been able to play forehand plus one tennis off of his second serve. It didn't happen in this match at all. He was hitting backhands off of his second serve. On the next ball. He just wasn't hitting forehands. What did you think of Nadal's mental game? It felt like a bit of desperation from set three. Um, That one's from Ash. Man, I thought the level was so high. It's hard for me to get on, on, on the mental game. You know, the the missed forehand is uh, is one he wants back. There's no doubt about that in the tiebreak. That's one he wants back. But he made so many shots under pressure that, you know, think about it. He he broke to to stay in the third set with Novak serving at 5-4. So I, I would have trouble critiquing Nadal from a mental standpoint. I felt like this was about um, not, not hitting the second serve well enough. The second serve getting attacked by Novak brilliantly and just being dominated on that shot. And then on the other side of the coin, Nadal kind of taking a pass, not returning the favor, not hitting dominant second serve returns, which I think, I, I don't think Novak's second serve was great. I'll say it. Uh, I don't think it was great. I don't think it was the best part of his game. 
I thought he was hitting regulation second serves. It was Nadal passing up the opportunity at really attacking it and and just kind of starting the point with it a little bit. Um, but in the fourth set, you know, fatigue can become can become part of it, it can it can be disguised as I don't know uh, mental issues. But but when your legs are tired, which I think again, I think if Novak lost the third set, he would have had the same problem. Um, and I, I just think Nadal was doing too much running. He wasn't dictating. Someone said, said if Steph shows nerves in the final like he did in the semifinal, he has no chance. I, I couldn't argue with that. I, I think it would be very difficult for me to argue with that. Um, with that being said, we saw in this match the way tennis can be so funny, um, where it can be so much easier to play from behind with your back against the wall versus playing with a lead when suddenly you're supposed to win. So you saw Tsitsipas had, in his own world words, mental collapses. He literally said that. And, you know, he's he's always very honest whenever whenever that happens. Um, he didn't have those in the beginning of the match when, you know, he didn't get nervous in the middle of the match. He got nervous when he was up two sets to love and he was supposed to win the match. When did Zverev get nervous? When he blew the lead at the start of the fifth set, when things were on even terms. So Nadal should come into the final as an underdog against Novak, who's already won this thing, who's been in major finals upon major finals upon major finals. And he should have a better mental performance than he did in the semifinals. When the when this generation of players, when you have these players playing each other, it it's very human. We've seen these matches before, especially with Zverev, because his game is very difficult to penetrate. So he's excellent at almost making the game ugly because his defense is so good. It's so hard to attack him. Um, between that and his own ability to generate his own offense. So what I'm basically saying is sometimes the, the deal with Alexander Zverev is this. It's very hard to do anything to him, and it's hard for him to do anything to you. So you end up in a very, a very stalemate-like um, version of tennis that can sometimes be laden with unforced errors instead of winners. And I don't know how else to put it. Um, so I think he brings nervousness out of his opponents as well in a way. But I would expect Tsitsipas to, to feel like an underdog or not. Maybe not. Maybe he's completely overwhelmed by the moment. It's his first major final. He's never been there. Maybe he completely folds mentally. That's a possibility for him, and it's not a possibility for Novak. You know Novak is going to be able to handle any moment. Um, so that's something to keep in mind going into this final. Um, I will add this. For the most part, during the clay court season, and you know, I still need to think, I'm not giving any predictions. If anyone asks me for a final prediction, that'll be a separate video. I'm not going to do that now. And I got to think about it and dig in a little bit to some stuff. But Tsitsipas and Djokovic throughout the clay court season has played a level that, to me, is fundamentally pretty equal, pretty level. You know, they have been, to me, the 1B for the entirety of this clay court season. Um, excuse me. Yeah, the 1Bs. That's what I meant to say. Um, meaning, they have been the two players who I'm sure, you know, Rafa or anyone observing would have circled as the two players who could possibly take out Rafa Nadal. And they were the candidates and... 
had, you know, did Tsitsipas have a more impressive clay season? Did did Djokovic coming into here? I think very close. Um, now, obviously, Novak has just put together one of the most brilliant, per- the most brilliant performance against Rafa Nadal on court Philippe Chatrier in the history of Nadal's career. And again, I, I, I will once again reiterate that I think the Soderling win was not to this level, and I think Djokovic's win in 2016 was not to this level. This was the best anyone has ever done it. And if you weren't with me at the beginning of the video, because I, I, I see um, I've added some, uh, some viewers here. If you were not with me at the beginning, to me, the key to the match was that Djokovic avoided the ultimate weapon, the ultimate weapon better than anyone else has ever avoided it, which is the Nadal forehand. And he made Nadal hit more backhands than I, you know, I've never seen anyone pin Nadal in the backhand corner so effectively. I've never seen it done. And that has to do with serve return dynamics, how you start the point, and the fact that Djokovic on the return was able to get it to Nadal's backhand. I think defensively, defensively there were a lot of moments where Djokovic was able to get it to Nadal's backhand from defensive positions, which is one of the most difficult things to do um, in, in all of tennis is when Nadal is ripping forehands on a clay court to get it to his backhand is technically such a challenging thing to do. And how many times did we see Nadal hit an inside-in forehand and Djokovic go back down the line with an open stance sliding backhand down the line to get it right back to Nadal's backhand? So return serve-return dynamics, uh, defense from Djokovic, and lastly, the... Forehand cross court from Novak Djokovic, which was just not in his game last year. It wasn't. Novak's forehand last year, in order to be damaging, in order to be penetrating, he had to flatten it out. He had to take extra risk. And that's what we saw in the 2020 final. We saw him hit it very straight. Um, and we also saw that, I would say, in the, uh, we saw that a little bit in the first set when Novak was down big and was like, okay, I don't really want to waste too much energy here, right? So that's how Novak wants to hit it if, if he's not fully engaged. But in this match, he found a solution that was both effective and safe. And that is heavy, high, and this takes a lot of racket acceleration and a lot of precisions, but um, extreme, extreme short angle forehands cross court heavy topspin to pull Nadal outside the doubles alley to break the sideline with that forehand and put Nadal, who's just not as fast as he once would, put Nadal in a really difficult position hitting open stance backhands. Nole got up on the RPMs, says um, Herman. Yes, he did. Absolutely. Um, Novak self-belief, never giving up. Yeah, I'm trying to let, let me let me ponder that for a second. That kind of that aspect. I mean, to be honest, it's the kind of thing I, I wouldn't expect. I wouldn't expect anything less from any of these guys. Um, you know, that's just again, that's that's what I would expect. Thank you uh, very much, Avi, for the uh, for the message. Appreciate that. Um, I wouldn't expect anything less. I I, I really wouldn't. You know, Novak and and Rafa, the same. They are never going to give up on trying to solve these problems on the tennis court against each other. Uh, for as long as their careers go, 
Uh, it's just not going to happen. It, it won't happen. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, the interesting thing is uh, what what exactly was it about these dynamics that allowed Novak to get the ball onto Nadal's backhand on the return on a much um, higher efficiency, on a much higher level. And I think part of it was just getting rid of the idea that he was going to try to hit deep down the middle. You know, I think that for the first time, he said, I'm going to direct these at Nadal's backhand, and I'm going to hit him well enough that Nadal's not going to be able to run around it. Because Djokovic's default return is deep down the middle. It's just how he returns. And I think he didn't completely get away from it. But I think sometimes he tried it a lot less. Far more often he said, let me ramp up the ambition here a little bit. Let me get it to Nadal's. Let me make sure Nadal is hitting a first ball backhand. It takes away his first strike effectiveness. Again, uh, let's dive in now. Let's dive into the rally analysis and the short points. Zero through four shots for the match. Folks, um, this is the key. Novak Djokovic won points zero through four shots in this match, 60 to 57. The long rallies, I mean, they, they were close. They were pretty even. Um, five through eight shots, Novak won 53 to 39. Nine plus shots, nothing between them. Novak 29, Nadal 28. A lot of it was... Um, was skewed by the most dominant set of that match. It was the fourth set when when Djokovic really ran away at the end of that match and went on a big run of points. But let's focus on that that zero through four points. The context of this, everyone, is how thoroughly dominated Djokovic has been in that very category for the last two times they've met. And the number is this. Um, in last year's French Open final, Nadal won zero through four shots, 53 to 25. In the Rome final, just a couple of weeks ago, Nadal won it 50-36. to And I think the second serve played a big role in that. The fact that Djokovic's second serve returning was so much better than Nadal's second serve returning. But even on the first serve, um, I think that Nadal uh, or Djokovic was just getting to, to Nadal's backhand way more. And it was the same thing in the rallies. Excellent commitment to that game plan by Novak. Um, and that was that was really what swung it more than anything. JH says Nadal was poor the entire clay season. Um, no, I, I would disagree with that. I think he was brilliant at times. He, he came into this match, and you think about the form that he was in. He won nine straight games against Diego Schwartzman. And then he comes into this match and wins the first five games. It's from a quarterfinal to a semifinal at Roland Garros. And he has just rattled off um, 14 straight games. Are you serious? This was someone, this was an opponent disrupting Nadal's form. That's what this was. I don't think that this was about, you know, Nadal's uh, form crashing to a halt. Now, the second serve struggles were a constant. You know, that is something that you have to look at the entire clay court season, and you can look at Nadal's second serve, and it wasn't it wasn't very good. Uh, from the Andre Rublev loss in Monte Carlo to the Alexander Zverev loss in Madrid to this loss where Nadal hit seven double faults, um, excuse me, eight double faults, which is the most he's ever hit in a match. 
Um, that was a problem throughout the clay court season, but not everything is going to be perfect. And I thought that he did find his uh, his forehand at a at some point um, during the clay court season, and that was the most important shot. And I thought he moved and defended incredibly well in this match. I mean, it was it was akin to, to what he was able to do in 2020. The way he was uh, defending and and winning some of these long rallies, it was just the short point dominance. I assure you, that's what dried up. That was the well that dried up for Rafa Nadal. That made all the difference. I take a drink of water here. I'm about to lose my voice. Not really. I never lose my voice, guys. Never. Seriously, it's never happened. Shout out to the French government for keeping the fans at this match. Shout out. Best executive order ever. I've never seen such an incredible government such an incredible executive order. Macron up for election next year. Smart political move. Savvy. Very savvy, huh? All right. Do you think Stefanos will win? Yeah, not going to do finals previews. Not going to do that. Do you think this is the biggest opportunity for Next Gen to win after Djokovic physically exhausting match? Interesting question. I, I just, so hard to predict if Djokovic is going to be absolutely fine or not. I will say this. I can't think of a lot of history. I cannot think of a lot of history of Novak Djokovic, um, you know, unable to recover from a physical match um, in, in a Grand Slam in recent memory. So what I'm going to do, I am going to go to Tennis Abstract here, shout out to them, and, and let's just take a look. Let's see if Nadal has played any long matches recently and how he's recovered from them. So I'm going to go, I'm going to um, filter it out for majors. So level, Grand Slam, and let's see, uh, let's see what we got here. So um, Nadal losing... Or Djokovic losing to Nadal after the five-setter against Tsitsipas. He lost in straights there. So, you know, fatigue doesn't really factor in, I don't think. Um, what else do we got? We have his loss to Stan at the 2019 U.S. Open. Yeah, that's injury. Um, you have his loss to team... At 2019, Roland Garros, straight set win over Zverev in the round priors. Yeah, that was an easy tournament for him until that semifinal when he lost to team. Um, then, yeah, I mean, then then we're back into we're back into the you know 2018, losing a Checkinado when he's you know wasn't quite back to his form. So yeah, I, I can't think of a lot of recent history. I mean, Novak generally, it, it's impossible to predict, but. I think historically he does a great job bouncing back from these matches physically. So we'll see what happens, but I wouldn't really count on Novak, you know, being affected physically to a to a really large extent. And remember, to do that, you know, Tsitsipas would have to drag him into the trenches. And that in itself is an accomplishment. That in itself is hard. And that's what Novak was able to do to Rafa that I assure you, if Rafa Nadal was in the middle of the court hitting forehands, he wouldn't have gotten tired. You don't get tired like that. And that's what these matches have sometimes looked like. They have sometimes looked like, well, Nadal dictating with his forehand on serve 
um, and, you know, neutralizing returns and, and then, you know, playing rallies um, on on Djokovic's service games, but not Nadal's service games. And if the match looked like that, you know, you don't get tired. So, Are Zverevs and Tsitsipasas of the world going to watch this match and take notes for future matches for Nadal at RG? Is this the beginning of the end for the King? Uh, that one from Nixon21. Thank you for the question. I really don't think so, guys. I, I don't think that... I don't think that there is a lot here that was um, revolutionary when it comes to the result of the tactics. Because I think there would have been a lot of people that you could have talked to and they would have said, well, you got to stay away from Nadal's forehand on the return. You can't let him get a comfortable first forehand. Everyone knows that. It's not a secret. It's just about executing it. It's about managing to do it. That right there is the difficult part. Um, it takes impeccable returning. And let's not forget who we're talking about. We're talking about one of the great returners, if not the greatest returner, of all time. I think on a clay court, Nadal is just as good as him. And both both these players uh, really, really struggled to uh, just hold serve against each other because the returning was at an incredible level throughout this match, period. Guga. Yes, Guga. <laughs> um, the returning at a, a, an incredible level. Zverev, I'll tell you why it would be difficult for Zverev to execute this because of his court positioning. It would be very hard for Zverev to get it to Nadal's backhand, returning from the back fence like he does. Very difficult. Um, Djokovic takes just enough time away and hits linear enough backhands um, to get it done. Tsitsipas just doesn't have a good enough return. He just doesn't. So there would be a lot of plus one play um, if that was the case. Now, when it comes to the baseline patterns, I would say... This is, uh, again, it would be something that a lot of people have tried to do. I just think it's so difficult to execute. I think Dominic Team has done this to Nadal before. He's put him in backhand jail. He's just, you know, repeatedly hit behind him and try to just make him hit open stance backhand after open stance backhand and really stick him in that corner, make him make something happen from there, attack the short balls occasionally, and then go inside out. Uh, again, Nadal is tremendous at changing that pattern with his with his own down-the-line backhand. It wasn't a great backhand day for Nadal. You know, it, it could have been better. There's no doubt about it. Um, but the key was that when Nadal went down the line with his backhand, uh, Djokovic did such a good job of taking it on the rise, meeting the ball early, hitting it very clean, very hard, um, oftentimes cross-court to not let Nadal, that's the open court. When you go down the line, you open up the cross court for your opponent. And Djokovic decided, I am going to commit to that cross court backhand and attack on that whenever Nadal tries to change direction down the line. There could have been maybe a little bit more backhand slice down the line for Nadal. That was one he didn't use. He tried to use mostly the high, heavy loop with a lot of margin over the net. And that was the one that I felt that Djokovic was really stepping into, taking on the rise, and punishing Nadal for. So that's maybe one to think about. 
Same level as in the year 2011. It was. It, it felt like that, didn't it? It was a different kind of match. A little bit different, but it was. It, it felt like that. I can't argue with you. It was by far the best match out of these two um, since the 2018 Wimbledon semifinal. Where, by the way, I felt that was the match that Nadal really unlocked his, uh, his forehand down the line in the baseline rallies. Uh, I do think that he needed to go to that a little bit more as an emergency, as an emergency, because Novak was just uh, too good uh, for, for Nadal to be hitting cross-court forehands. He was just too good with his backhand. And I think that this is a, a common theme, but for some reason it's difficult for Nadal to sell himself out to that shot and hit it right away. He did it Wimbledon 2018. And he would have won that match if if he didn't get dominated in, in the serve return dynamic. But in this match, I think he he had a chance to hit that shot more. Didn't go for it enough. Those are my two main critiques, guys, of of Nadal. Um, you know, I told you what I thought Djokovic did so well and so impressively um, executed. But my two main for, critiques for Nadal is this: I did not think we saw enough forehands down the line because I thought when he hit it, it was very effective. That's the first part. The second part is I don't think he attacked the Novak Djokovic second serve with enough vigor. I think he was too safe on that shot. And let's look at average second serve speed for Novak Djokovic. It was 82 miles per hour. It's really slow, folks. Really slow. Nadal was up at 90. And you saw what Djokovic did to Nadal's second serve. Brilliance. Absolute brilliance the way he returned it. Nadal didn't... uh, mixed direction enough, but Djokovic with the backhand return, oh, silky, silky smooth. So darn good. All right, here's a question in my DMs from um, someone whose name is the clown emoji. Why was Nadal unable, oh, look at this. It was, why was Nadal unable to go consistently uh, with his forehand down the line? Was it just a confidence thing? So I think it is for the most part. I think it is. So... Um, I would say that when, um, it's a lot, the quality of the, of the cross court shot for, for Djokovic, but if Djokovic is hitting well enough with his cross court backhand, hitting deep enough, hitting the, that, that penetrating cross court ball that he, that he often does, you know, everything in Nadal's fiber is saying, this is not a ball to attack. I can't attack this ball. So I need to go back cross court and wait for a ball to attack. I guess the adjustment that maybe Nadal could make is to sometimes go down the line with the forehand before it's time to attack. Just pattern change there maybe. Uh, who knows if that would have been effective or not. Because now you're getting you know, back to Novak's forehand, which he hit so well in this match. But, but maybe that's it. Maybe the problem for Nadal and... Remember when I throw these tactics out here and I said the same thing for Djokovic. You can throw these tactics out. It doesn't mean they're going to work. It just means it's something that, that you haven't that was not being implemented on the court. When Nadal hits his forehand down the line, it means that he has decided that the incoming ball is weak enough that he has the confidence to hit that shot. And if that criteria isn't met, either the incoming ball is weak enough or Djokovic is far off the court enough. So his court position is bad. Maybe Nadal needs to loosen up his criteria. Maybe he needs to go for that shot 
before it's really time to attack. And he just needs to pattern change there as to not get sucked in to uh, the the ba- the cross court um, or the the Nadal forehand, Djokovic backhand rally. But Novak also did better in that rally than he has in the past on clay, and he did better as the match went on. The temperatures got cooler. The bounce is not quite as violent, and that maybe helped that pattern a little bit for Novak. Um, but it hurt Nadal in his ability to do damage on the first serve. I think hurt both players and that made it a little bit more physical. And I think that, um, was a key as well. Rafa needed to work his way to the net. He had a lot of approach worthy balls, but he was timid and stayed back. I was surprised. We didn't see that adjustment. Actually. Um, I was surprised. Um, you know, I've seen Djokovic's defense was so superb. And it was a little bit more difficult for Nadal to finish points with his forehand. Much more difficult, I would say. You know, at some point, I will do the uh, I will do the math about um, Nadal's forehand potency and his finish rates, and we'll see how far that those dipped. But I'd be willing to bet that they dipped a lot further in this match because of Djokovic's speed. Make no mistake about it. That's what it's all about. It is the Novak Djokovic defense and the speed and also how he's starting points. But um, I think that um, when you run into an opponent that you're having trouble hitting through, you got to try to get to net. Djokovic's court position also makes that difficult. But of course, Nadal has that in his arsenal. And he never went to that plan C. Um and maybe he could have. So that's a that's fair. And by the way, he was very successful when he went to net. Very successful. Um, he was 11 for 15. Novak was 20 for 31 at net. Novak was doing the majority of the dictating, no? I think that's true. That's not a, a you know, that's not scientific, but I, I think that's true. I would say so. What's happening with Novak's serve? I think his first serve was good. His second serve has been slow all clay court season long. That's just been how it is the entire season. And uh, that hasn't changed. Thank you for the donation, Prasanna. Um, obviously, if you leave a comment in the super chat, that guarantees that I will get it. And I'm going to go about 20 minutes here before I uh, record three. That is my next activity. That is next on the docket, ladies and gentlemen. You can look up three, a tennis show on YouTube. We cover uh, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. You can subscribe to that channel. Uh, If you have not, of course, I appreciate if you subscribe to this channel as well. Um, It's also available on podcast platforms, as is this channel, but you'll have to search up Monday Match Analysis if you want to subscribe on the channel. Uh, question from Ahmed. Who do you think is coming into the final with more confidence? Definitely Novak. I think when you beat Nadal on clay, playing that well, you can't get more confident than that. You know, Stefano Tsitsipas beat Alexander Zverev. That's very different. Now, Tsitsipas should have semblance of confidence because he's played well. He's played so well all season. He's the ATP's, you know, he's the tour wins leader. He should be very, very confident heading into the final. Um, he 
I believe he also um, owns a head-to-head victory over Djokovic on the clay, if I'm not mistaken. And let me look that up real quick so I can give you guys that information because... If you don't have it already, some of you, you guys, you guys are always very smart. Some of you guys are on top of that stuff better than me. No, that is not true. So Tsitsipas, 5-2 career against um, Djokovic. They played in Rome this year. It was a very good match, a tremendous match. Uh, Tsitsipas served for that match um, in the second set, ended up losing that set 7-5, and then Djokovic won... Uh, won the third set 7-5. It was a fantastic match, which, by the way, just it, it does, uh, I would say, it does drive home my point that Tsitsipas will come onto the court, I think, with an expectation that he plays well. And then, of course, last year's Roland Garros semifinal. It's a rematch of that, and what you'll remember about that, I would say, is Novak handled that moment a lot better. Novak doesn't feel the pressure. He's a superhuman that way. Best nerve management of all of all time. Him and Pete Sampras. Him and Pete Sampras handle nerves better than any tennis player, at least men's tennis player, um, ever. So Djokovic comes in, very comfortable, semifinal. Titipas very much feeling the moment. Too big for him. So early on, he goes down two sets to love. Djokovic thoroughly outplaying him. Even though he gets some some chances, blows them, does Tsitsipas, and then Novak runs away with the first two sets. But then Tsitsipas really catches fire, plays tremendous tennis, uh, wins the next two sets off of Djokovic, and then deteriorates physically. And just we never got to see what that fifth set would have been if they were on equal footing uh, physically. But but Tsitsipas didn't have have enough physically to uh, really uh, contest that fifth set, and Novak moved on to the final. What allowed Mosetti to drag Djokovic deep, and can Tsitsipas do the same and more? Well, the biggest difference, I'd say, between the Mosetti match and, you know, this match for Novak, and even the Berrettini match, is Djokovic's forehand was bad in the opening two sets against Mosetti. It was stiff. It was tight. Uh, he was not hitting it. He was not doing any damage with it because he just wasn't opening up the shoulders and hitting that shot well. And that really allowed Musetti into the points. And then it was the backhand variety uh, that Musetti had on that cross-court rally that really disrupted Djokovic. And the edge that he likes against uh, the edge that he likes to get against all righties is his superior cross-court backhand trading. But Musetti had so many different tools on the backhand, from slice to angle to flat. Um, so much there that it disrupted Novak's rhythm. Um, Tsitsipas doesn't have that same thing on, on his backhand, if, if you want me to extrapolate on that question. Musetti, as young as he is, is much more of a rhythm disruptor on the backhand-to-backhand rally. Tsitsipas will be well-served to, to try his best to mix in some slice, to... Um, you know, mix his speeds a little bit on the backhand. But all in all, he can't do that like Musetti did. His slice just isn't great. Uh, he doesn't flatten out his backhand well. It's generally heavy topspin um, unless he's going down the line. Uh, and what Tsitsipas needs to do on his backhand is just stay stable, stay solid, 
pattern change down the line so he doesn't get caught into the backhand to backhand consistently. But ultimately, he needs to be what he was against Zverev in the opening two sets and the fifth set, which is patient. Because if he's going down the line, he's kind of um, playing into... He needs to hit the down the line backhand when it's there. He just can't hit it when it's not there. But ultimately, I expect Djokovic to have the edge backhand to backhand, not Tsitsipas. Uh, what what Tsitsipas will do better than Nadal in this next match is, you know, Djokovic will not will not have the same, and he won't hit this shot as much. But if Djokovic hits angled forehand, Tsitsipas will will be much better hitting his running forehand from off the court. And and between his athleticism and how well he defends his forehand side, um, it's not going to be a shot. It'll be a shot that Novak will use because it's always a good good idea to break the sideline and to hit a great angle. It's just not going to be, I don't think it's going to be built in to Novak's game plan like it was built into his game plan against Nadal here. More coffee for me. All right, folks, I'm going to go 10 more minutes. So um, make sure you get your questions in. What do you think about fitness of these guys, particularly Novak at the age of 34 and 35, playing grueling tennis of the highest quality for four plus hours in relatively humid and hot conditions? You just got to give it up. I hope I've said this enough. I, I hope I haven't gotten... I hope I hope this hasn't been lost. This was such a good match. This was so good. My goodness. The fitness of these guys. Yeah. Um the movement, the agility, the court coverage. I mean, I don't think they're marathon men anymore. I don't think they can put their body through what they used to be able to put their body through physically. Uh let's see how Djokovic's body recovers. I'm assuming pretty well. I'm assuming pretty well. But yeah, look, for them to reach this that level at the at the age at the age ages that they are, it's unthinkable. It is unthinkable. It really is. They were flying around the court. Flying. Um Seems Novak's shot tolerance inc- increased significantly since last year's French Open. What's your take on that? Here's my take on that. I don't think the reason is physical. I don't think it's cardio. I think that Djokovic's confidence in finishing points, enforcing errors, I think that's what increased. Because I felt like instead of beating Nadal, instead of trying to beat Nadal for pace... He knew that all he had to do was drag Nadal off the court and he could find offense just like that. From, from, from doing that, he could find his offense. So what that allowed him to do was do what Nadal has been doing for years. Nadal has found a way to play high margin offense that doesn't miss very often on this surface. And that's because it's heavy topspin with lots of net clearance high over the net, but it's angular. So it, it keeps the opponent on the run. Um, 
And even if it goes to a big target, it might not be anywhere near the line. It might not be near the sideline. But because of the angle of the shot, how short it lands in the court, uh, it actually breaks the sideline after it bounces. So it's this damaging shot with net clearance, not near the sideline. To do that, you need to hit heavy RPM, lots of racket speed. And that has been missing from Novak's game. And I saw hints of that in Rome. Second set, Rome. I think we saw some of this from Novak. I do. Um, But that's only one set. He had to do it for three sets in this match. Different task. Different animal. But um, I think better racket head speed, acceleration, and focusing on, on that specific forehand... And it was just on fire today. So better shot tolerance? I don't know. Better uh, better plan to sustain offense? Yes. So he's not going to miss as much. Nadal serve betrayed him. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, the, the second serve wasn't good. You know, can't sugarcoat that. It just wasn't good Um, from double faulting too often and, you know, Djokovic just finding an amazing rhythm on the backhand return. And it felt like every time, every second serve, Djokovic was hitting the same exact return. And that's Nadal's fault for not mixing it up enough. But also, a lot of players wouldn't have been able to take advantage of it as well as, um, as Djokovic did. Do you think Nadal can do something similar to Djokovic at the Australian Open? I think that they were in the same boat here. So uh, I'll tentatively say yes. You know, again, coming into this match, I'll I'll admit it. I, I won't, you know, I'm not going to shy away from this. I pick Nadal because all of these things that I thought that Djokovic had to do, one of them included pinning Nadal in the backhand corner in the baseline rallies and then having a plan for that pattern changing backhand down the line. Um, one of them included making Nadal hit first ball backhand. So while while I've already gotten some DMs that um, have uh, tried to crap on me for my pick, I feel I feel great about the preview that I recorded because I feel like I nailed the tactical keys in the preview, and that's my job. I feel nobody can predict accurately every time, but if I if I think that I do a good job outlining the tactical previews uh, or the tactical keys, I'm pretty happy. Uh, so I think I did that here. So where was I? I, I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, thank you for being my 300th like. Oh, right. I remember the question now. So I didn't know if Djokovic was going to do that to try to you know unlock something and find the key. And in the same in the same light, in the same vein, I don't know. You know, I will come into their next match on hard court assuming that Nadal will not do it, but he, he has the same chance to to figure something out, to find something. Now, on a fast hardcore, it's going to be more about uh, the serve return themselves for Nadal, in my opinion. It's going to be about serving and returning as a singular shot a little bit better and um, th- th- than he has in the past. And again, the down the line forehand is a, a constant key. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I think he can. But it's all about, it's all ifs. It's all what ifs. 
Pros and cons on Steph's serve. He's got a great kick serve out wide, uh, but he's got to make sure not to not to just rely on that on the second serve. He's got to mix up his locations and make Djokovic hit some some first serve forehand returns. But Tsitsipas has a really good um, a really good clay serve. He doesn't have a great flat serve, but um, good slice serve out wide. Djokovic will need to cut off the angle on the slice serve out wide on the do serves. Zverev did a terrible job of that. Very, very key, okay, was um, was the wide serve on the do side for Tsitsipas. I believe, which set was it? Or which game was it? Maybe it was second set. Let me try to find it. Um, or here, I'll go to my Twitter feed because I know, I know I tweeted about it. Where basically Tsitsipas hit four wide serves on the deuce side and got four free points. It was the first set. First set there. Four free points on that same serve. So uh, Djokovic needs to be ready for that one. No doubt about it. All right, we got a super chat. Thank you, J.A. Why do so few players have an effective slice backhand that they can trade with consistently? And do you think Rafa should have sliced more? Um, good question. Thank you for uh, for the donation as well. Um, I probably, yeah, I do. I do. Although he hit some really poor slices. That's what I'll say about that. I'm, I'm just, what I do there is I rack my brain. I think about when he did it, how did it work? And when Nadal hits a floating slice down the line, now Djokovic is not hitting the backhand. He's hitting the, the forehand, either inside out or inside in from the backhand side. And, and by the way, he would never slice cross court Nadal. And let me just be clear on that because the racket head acceleration that Djokovic possesses on the forehand side uh, is is far superior to what he can do on the backhand. Therefore, the backhand slice for Nadal would only be effective if he got it to the Djokovic backhand. And a couple times he floated it, it was not good, and Djokovic took advantage. But in general, I felt that Djokovic was handling the loopy down-the-line backhand that Nadal hits to change the pattern. When Nadal hits that shot, he's asking for a forehand. But he's asking for an attackable forehand. And that's what Djokovic wouldn't give him. Djokovic would hit that sharp, on-the-rise, very hard and heavy cross-court. And Nadal would not get the forehand that he's looking for. If Nadal could hit a, a very good slice down the line, and instead of trying to break Djokovic's contact point, above the strike zone, over the shoulders. If he tried to break the contact point below. Are we back? Are we back? Are we back? Are we back? I know that the stream lost connection there, um, but I do believe that I am back. At least I hope I am. Um, okay, last question I will take from V1 to F1 Demon. Oh, actually, there's another super chat, so... Okay, well, it's not a question. Um, hold on. Let me just make sure that I'm connected here. I believe I am. Okay. Given what Novak has said about the next gen in his news conferences, do you think this will motivate either player to prove something to the world? Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, 
I, I wish I wish I knew exactly what comments um, you were referring to. That would have helped helped me out a little bit. But you know, I, I think that he has been not shy about describing that you know we are the challenge and uh, that the next gen what what they have not been able to accomplish is beat us at a big match in a slam and then go on to win the slam. That's what has not occurred yet. It has not happened. And I think, here's what I'll say about Tsitsipas to answer your question. He wants that. He wants that very, very badly. And he hasn't shied away from that like, like some other players have. Some other players have kind of been like, well, they're great. And they haven't been bold about saying, that makes me angry. It's time for them to lose. It's time to beat these guys. And credit to Stefano Tsitsipas, who from the moment he got on tour said, no, I want to make French Open finals and I want to beat, you know, I want to win these big matches. I want to beat the big three. I want to get to this spot. So I think um, what that means is that I do not expect Stefano Tsitsipas to back down. And that's what I can say about that. Let's go rapid fire. At what moment of the game did you believe Novak could win it? That one from Abror. Um, thank you for that question. And I think, I, you know, I got to say, midway through the third set, when it was a, a set apiece, and I just saw the dynamics that were successful for Novak in the second set, they were persisting for an extended period of time. And as soon as that happened, it was just, oh, wow, you know, that, that has taken a long time now and, and nothing has changed here. Well, in that case... Novak's right in this. You know, the the second serve dynamic, the the rally patterns, they were not shifting in Nadal's favor. Um Oh, he said Who would have Titipas wanted to face more, Nadal or Djokovic? Surely Djokovic, I mean, I think he knows, I don't know. I mean, I guess not surely, but yeah, I, I think I think Novak Djokovic, he, he would want to face more. I mean, Nadal on a final Sunday in Chatrier, there's a certain aura, there's a certain impenetrable, and even not on Sunday, even just the final weekend, you know, it, it's just extremely difficult. And that's why we should just give all the praise in the world. Herculean praise to Novak Djokovic. Um, I got to wrap things up, guys, because I got to record three. Um, But again, if you didn't hear me say it at the beginning, I will say it again. First of all, we were so privileged to watch that match. Two absolute titans, absolute legends deliver in their mid-30s in 2021 in the Roland Garros semifinal. An epic, a classic, the third set. One of the greatest sets I have ever seen. And Novak Djokovic with the best performance of all time against Rafa Nadal on court Philippe Chatrier. Cracking the code, coming through in four sets. Guys, really appreciate everyone who showed out for this stream. I did not expect to get as many uh, viewers as I did here. Again, I'm, I'm thankful for your questions, for your support, for joining me here to... to after that big match, I'm sure there are a million things you could have done. Uh, call your friends, all, all that stuff. Watch other things. 
thank you uh, for uh, for coming and hanging out with me. I really appreciate it, and I will do more of these in the future. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time.